Okay. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of different Im images, right, that we kind of think about when it comes to, to power. We're going to talk about uh, that idea specifically because Paul will say that the gospel is the, the power of God. And uh, we were last night, uh, went to the, the North Georgia State Fair. And you guys go this uh, past fair season? I think today's the last day if you need to get that into your life. What's that? And where's that one at? Perry. Oh, Perry, okay. You have. So, I mean, <laughs> there are so many, so many things. But last night, what brought us to the fair was they had uh, bull riding. And so, um, which I had never seen. I've been to a rodeo, but I was like, you know, I've always wanted to see bull riding. So, I think I've mentioned it. It's on like a little smaller bucket. It's not the big bucket list, but like, uh, you know, if I died, I never saw bull riding. It'd be all right. But it was like, ah, you know, I'm like... It's like that restaurant you always want to go to, and they close down, and you're like, ah, well, you know, I'm not crushed. But anyway, um, so we went to see that, and that is one of those things like bulls are powerful animals. Um, and so guys are getting tossed, you know, trying to hold on just for, I think it's eight seconds, right? I mean, I've always heard the term eight seconds. It seems like a long eight seconds when they're riding. You're like, man, that had to been eight, right? That was only six, but... Um, and then when the bulls, you know, are done, some of them are still like bucking and don't want to go to their pen. Anyway, so it's kind of a good visual. I don't know. I might have a bull as a, as a visual of power. Um, but anyway, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, we'll get into, uh, further down in our, our, our study of Romans one. But last week we looked at first Corinthians 15 and, uh, we looked at the resurrection. And again, Paul kind of talked about, you know, our resurrected bodies and uh, when we'll receive them and then kind of even all the implications of what that looked like. Uh, not only like how having a resurrected body in the future, uh, what that means for that future, but how we can live today in light of tomorrow. So Paul does that sometimes in his letters and it's, it's helpful for us. He does that a little bit in what we're going to talk about today. Um, but as we start in Romans 1, Really, the last half of Romans one is kind of, kind of the 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 big part, and I, I I you know chose this as like a chapter because there are many times that I reference this chapter um, just to kind of make sense of the world we live in. So we'll get more into that next week uh, as we kind of set the table for what that looks like because it is in the context of what Paul is writing. But even with what Paul is writing, it's very appropriate for us to kind of talk about in order to have a good understanding of what those things are. And so uh, we'll read the first handful of verses in chapter 1 and then kind of, kind of dissect them. So if, in verse 1 of chapter 1 of Romans, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, <clears throat> called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, 
including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, Paul kind of just talks about, right, in his introduction, uh, who he is and what he's about. And we see clearly, right, that Paul is about the gospel of Christ. And he doesn't just state it, you know, he explains it, right? And so, um, you know, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think, you know, Paul uh, explains right at the very beginning of his letter what the gospel is and all of these details? So before we look at the details, what do you think his purpose is in, in doing so? Yeah. yeah, and exactly, you know, for those purposes, and he'll state that in a little bit, right, that he hasn't, he hasn't been there yet. And so really just so they understand what he's talking about. So instead of saying the gospel of God or the gospel of Jesus, laying it out and being clear so they understand it correctly, and so he doesn't assume that he, you know, they know what he's talking about. He's encountered in his visits People who have, you know, were under the Pharisees and then were in the baptism of John. We read that in Acts, but didn't know about the baptism of Jesus. And so there's kind of some differentiation like, oh, yeah, you know, what, what is it that you believe? And so he kind of starts out uh, in the beginning kind of doing that. And that's really like when we kind of think about, you know, week to week what we do here in this church, um, you know, we... I mean, there's, there's a sense where you, we could just read Scripture, and we do do the public reading of Scripture, but our main focus in the, gospel, in, in, in the sermons uh, and in our teaching is to explain it or do exposition of God's Word. And so he wants to explain kind of all of these parts um, that make up this whole for what, uh, you know, what the gospel is. So Paul has this very long introduction which is full of prepositional phrases, you know, all you English majors, uh, or those that appreciate the language, right? That one thing describes another, describes another, describes another, describes another, you know. And so it's this long chain of what he is doing. And so he starts out by kind of explaining himself, and that's typical in most letters back then, that they would start out with who they are, and then to who it, the, you know, who the letter is addressed to, and then usually just like greetings, so much shorter. But in Romans, compared to specifically other letters as well, he again has this long explanation. And so he says first that he's a servant of Christ. And that term servant, as you may know, is the word for slave. So slave is a better term. Um, we just, you know, in our translations, many say servant because slave has a heavy connotation in America. But that's really what he's saying is that he is a slave of Christ. As a Roman citizen, Paul is free, 
But as a slave of Christ, he is bound to serve Christ. Uh, Paul says in Galatians 1.10, For uh, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So all that flows out of this letter is held captive by Christ. And so he speaks more of that about who he is captive to. And he says this idea of the Spirit more in chapter 7. Um, but this is kind of an explanation. So does that identifier of being a slave of Christ, is that reserved for Paul as an apostle or maybe Paul himself? Or should that be a descriptor for us as well? No, this term slave or servant of Christ. (laughs) Yeah. And if we think about it, you know, and again, not that that is something that we have a familiarity with, like what is, you know, uh, the role of a slave. But if we kind of put ourselves in that mindset or that understanding, it really helps us to yield ourselves to what Christ desires and being in line with what Christ has called us for. And so that's what, that's what Paul starts out with saying that he's a slave of Christ, specifically called to be an apostle. Now that is distinct to Paul. And we already looked at when Paul was converted and kind of saw what went along with that calling. He talks about our calling you know, the Romans calling, but for us specifically being in the church as well, we'll see our calling a little bit further down the line. And then he says, set apart for the gospel of God, right? So he's called to be an apostle. That term apostle is a sent one. And we understand that the, the apostles, that they were uh, witnesses of Christ and that they went out to preach the message and to plant churches. And that was kind of their, their role into um, raise up leadership and to oversee the churches there um, in you know that part of the world, and so it says set apart for the gospel of God, and so now we see kind of this specific like exclusive focus on his particular calling, which he says is the gospel of God. And we've already we know the gospel of God is the good news, right? If we understand that term, the good news of God, and this letter is a clear exposition of the gospel of God. So, you know, what it is, why is it good, and what if we are without it? And so those are the things that he will cover in even much more detail. But if you kind of think about what is the gospel of God, and we say like, well, if we were to witness to others and we were to share with others about Christ, we share the gospel. Well, again, that's a term that is just one word, but what is the gospel? What are the implications of the gospel? Paul over 16 chapters in his letter, um, will uh, explain all of that before he makes a visit to Rome. And so he says this gospel of God was promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now why does Paul say that? Okay, so it's not new. And so what does that mean?
Yeah, and so for them, this, this gospel of God is not, you know, it's really not just a Christian thing. The gospel is even back in the Old Testament, right? The, the good news of what God is doing. And he'll say, right, you know, through the prophets, right, the prophets, while the prophets sometimes said that there will be judgment, right, that there will also be uh, hope for the future, may not be in their lifetime, and often it wasn't in their lifetime for the things that were to happen. But this good news, right, was promised, and it was promised not just through word of mouth, but through the Holy Scriptures, through different authors, through at different times, all revealed to point to what God is going to do, planning to do. And so this message, right, is about uh, Jesus Christ concerning, verse 3, concerning His Son, right? The Son of God. And Paul in different ways would explain, you know, who different people were talking about. But the Son of God who first, he says, descended from David in the flesh. What was the, what was the purpose of, you know, that fulfillment? What was that promise that Jesus was, um, you know, I guess fulfilling uh, when through David. Okay, so right in Second Samuel seven, we looked at that chapter way back when, uh, whenever we got to Second Samuel chapter seven, is that there would be someone that would be on his throne, and was the hope, right, that there would be a king on the throne of David, and so through David's flesh, what is he meaning by that? What's that? His human nature. But how is Jesus, like, through the flesh, a descendant of David? So he was born from a woman, but specifically he was born in the lineage of David, right? And so you could see, you trace back um, through uh, his parents back to David um, in order to see, right, that he is able to fulfill just by generationally through that aspect of that promise. And then he says that he is the son of God by the resurrection. And we went through a lot kind of like what that looked like, you know, or understanding of that, what that meant last week, right? But he says, but he was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead which is just kind of a wordy way to say um, that it was through the resurrection that we understand he is who he said he would be. Because through the resurrection, right, that he confirmed he was the Son of God. He said this is what, what would happen. He had made even some promises about you know, being raised in three days like Jonah was in the whale. But he was, or Jonah was in the fish, and so he would, he would be raised again. And so he established Christ as the Son of God and provided also our means of eternal life with God. So again, continue just like as he's kind of laying out all of these things and understanding these little parts of what the gospel is and what it means um, kind of in its full package. Even being able to answer questions about, you know, our understanding of God's plan and purposes is kind of being laid out as Paul lays out these things.
And so um, uh, he then says in verse, the end of verse 4 or verse 5, he says, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. And so talking specifically about himself, right, received grace and apostleship, um, kind of like thought of as one term, gracious apostleship, uh, meaning the apostleship that he's received has been a gift to him, this calling to be able to pronounce the, the, who Christ is and what he's done, was also to bring about obedience of faith. And so this kind of gets to the point of like why Paul is a missionary. He's an itinerant pastor, and he suffers for the sake of Christ, to bring about obedience of faith. So what do you think that entails, obedience of faith? Okay. Yeah, and so um, if we think of, you know, the gospel message, you know, why do we, you know, what's the purpose of, what do we, what do we see as the purpose of preaching the gospel or sharing the gospel? Yeah, and I love the way that you kind of like, you didn't really answer it in the like normal way, I guess we would answer it, is thinking like, well, we preach the gospel so people can be saved, but it's, it's more than that, right? It's more than just salvation. It's drawing us closer to God, and drawing us closer to God is, yes, that first step is in salvation, but then what's the purpose of the rest of our lives is as we understand who God is, we do have a stronger relationship with God, and we are closer to God, and that comes with that idea of obedience and faith, right? So why does, you know, if Paul only went to a place to, you know, preach the gospel and that was it, which there are some missionaries, like, that is their role, but his purposes were not only to establish churches, to lay that foundation, but then what did he do with those churches, Yeah. And so he helped build them up. Either we see, you know, like at the end of his first missionary journey where he and Barnabas were like, hey, let's go back and strengthen those churches. Or even that we see within these letters right here. He hasn't even been to the church in Rome. Why even pen this long letter um, with the time and effort that it's going to be? I mean, he had other purposes, and we're going to see what those purposes are. But the whole point is to make sure that we're living according to what Christ desires. And that's the hard part. Right. The harder part, I think, for Paul was, I mean, the things that, you know, um, I mean, while it was dangerous to go from one place to another, uh, I think the the things that he that burdened him the most were the churches that were straying from the gospel. And so helping them to obedience, right, is to um, 
you know, is, is part of what the gospel is. And then he says for, you know, the, the idea of preaching the, the gospel or sharing the gospel to bring about obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations, right? This obedience that we do has a purpose. It's not to just get in line, right? As a slave of Christ, we need to do what Christ says. That is kind of like how we should look at ourselves. But the whole purpose of, you know, living a life glorifying to God, right, is because it glorifies God. It glorifies Christ when we are obedient to his purposes and obedient to how he desires for us to live. And that's not just within the church community or context because, you know, we judge each other. And so uh, we want to make sure that everyone in church knows that I, you know, follow Christ to the letter of the law, right? It's for the sake of the nations who does not know Christ. And so that's, uh, well, and those that do know Christ, all-encompassing for that. And so this has a purpose, and this calling for the sake of the nations um, is not only for all mankind, but, right, includes each one of us individually, right? This calling is to belong to Christ. And it's kind of circular within like how Paul started his introduction to where he's kind of like closing out his introduction. And so then he says that for the sake of the nations that uh, you are loved by God, right? God was motivated by love and we should be motivated by love as well. When Jesus kind of talked about the two great commandments that we're to follow is to love God and love neighbor. It starts with being loved by God. If you want to read an exposition of that in expansion, you can read 1 John where he talks about, you know, love first starting with God and then expanding to us within the Godhead and then to us. And then that's how we know love or we don't know love, you know, or we, we know that something is not true because there is no love. It's devoid of love. And so we see that um, kind of a part of what uh, our calling is, not only loved by God, but called to be saints. And again, we've talked about that term, saints, meaning holy ones, right? And while our salvation is secure, this idea of obedience, this calling of being set apart, is the way that we live. So again, a lot right there, kind of in the beginning, in the introduction, um, uh, with what Paul is saying and explaining, again, you know, what the gospel is and the components of the gospel. I mean, he expands much greater detail uh, in each, you know, in the chapters that will follow. But even in the introduction, he wants us to kind of like make sure that we have the right understanding about the gospel. So to those in love, who, Rome, who are loved by God, called to be saints, then he says, grace to you and peace. That's kind of like the typical, again, greeting, except... The typical greeting would have just been greetings. And the word, you know, that is the Greek word that's used for greeting is similar to the word that he used for grace, but instead of just an idea about, you know, greeting or, you know, hello, um, he wants them to understand this idea that uh, there is grace upon you, meaning that this gift of God, this gospel of God is a gift that has been blessed, you know, for, or for your blessing and for your good, and also peace. And again, for Gentiles, this idea of greetings, which grace is kind of a similar term, 
um, but just slightly different that he uses on purpose. And then peace, which is a typical Jewish greeting or shalom, that this peace of God is upon you. And so as he's kind of talking about those and their different backgrounds that he incorporates within his greeting, he specifies it to his audience for us to understand not only the gift that has been given upon him, the peace of God that is upon them, um, that is given through their Father and Jesus Christ. And so, again, instead of just saying, hey, hello, I'm coming, this is Paul to you, the Church of Rome, he again is intentional in what he is talking about. And so, the, the ramifications of kind of this expansive introduction is that when we even think about the gospel as like, a, as like a term or a phrase, there's much more that is a part of that. And Paul includes that even in his introduction. And for us as well, you know, why does he, again, why does he use this introduction? He wants to make sure that they get it right. And for us, it's good for us to have it right in order to have in conversations when we talk to people, right, do they have it right? Because there's a lot of, you know, religious people, and there's even a lot of religious people in America specifically that say they follow God, that may say that they believe in Jesus Christ, but what does all that mean? And so that's what we want to understand and make sure. And so Paul kind of sets the tone for us as we understand some of these things, that the details are important, even in an introduction. And so continuing on, we'll read the next few verses and then kind of think about what this means as well. So he says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing... I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I, might, I may now at last uh, succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So the first thing right, he says is, I thank God. And what does he thank God about? Yeah, <clears throat> that your faith is proclaimed throughout all of the world. That others know about, you know, the faithfulness of um, this church there in Rome. And he says that he hasn't been there yet. We'll get to that in just a second. But um, others know about him, including himself, obviously. Well, how would they know? How would, uh, how would, how would um, other people know about the faith of the church in Rome? Social media. <laughs> Paul was big on Twitter. <laughs> okay. 
sphere of influence. Okay. How did the Church of Rome, this is John Magnus, but how did the Church of Rome get started before Paul? That's a great question. That's a great question. I do know the answer to that. Well, uh, there's, there's, the, there's the, this is the thought. Does anyone know the answer? We went through this chapter. What's that? Pentecost. Pentecost, yeah. All those nations that were, like all those people groups, there, were group, there was a group from Rome that was there. So the thought was that at some point, right, everybody kind of stayed in Jerusalem, that some went back, and the church probably got started um, around, you know, sometime after that as a result of Pentecost. Now, not for sure, but that's the thought because, like I said, there were some that were there from Rome at that. So for Paul, right, he hasn't, he hasn't expanded that way yet, right? His, his goal is I'm going through Asia Minor. He's making his way through Greece. But a church has already been established in Rome, and he hears about it. Now, specifically, he would have heard about it, um, and, and I'll read uh, a little portion of Acts chapter 18. So we see, after this, Paul left uh, Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So you see right here, specifically, as a result of persecution, which is how, like, one, uh, the people left Jerusalem. They all wanted to start the church. There's thousands that had, you know, come to faith in Christ, and they all wanted to hang out there until there was persecution to, to have them spread. Well, in Rome, same thing, right, that the church was there, and that because of this persecution, the people spread to other areas. For Priscilla and Aquila, we see that they helped, they were instrumental in helping strengthening the church in Corinth, um, and so for Paul, he came in contact with them and likely would have heard about what's going on in the church and their faithfulness. And who knows, maybe they were like, hey, you got to go to Rome, Paul. You got to go to Rome, you check it out. There's a nice place you can eat. I got some friends you can stay with. And so, um, but you wouldn't believe about our church, which just shows kind of, you know, again, um, the nature of, uh, you know, that the Lord has us in particular places, but desires for us, you know, for, through circumstances or for other ways, right, that we move on, but bring what we have gained from the churches that we're in to share them with the others, to even then create this kind of like network and cohesion between all of the churches. Again, churches aren't just, well, we got it right, so we're the only ones doing it right, and so we need to just focus on ourselves. There's this idea, right, that there's this expansion of even within the churches, what's going on to help support one another. You see that in other, again, other places where Paul says, you're doing well you know, to the Corinthians. He asked them twice to donate money to other churches support of what's going on in other places, in other churches. So he thanks God that, you know, for them, after this introduction, right, wants to say, hey, specifically for you in Rome, you know, I'm thankful about your faithfulness. We don't see any corrective measures. Paul hasn't gotten sort of, <laughs> has no, um, you know, relational currency with them uh, to be able to kind of instruct him in this way. So all of it so far is on good terms uh, with what's going on in the church. But he kind of explains what his primary goal was and what is his primary goal. And we've already mentioned it, right? What, is he, what does he want to do? 
Well, strength. So he wants to come to, but he wants to come to Rome. Yeah. And when he's in Rome, right? What What is his his goal that he wants to do for them? Yeah. Yeah. But he doesn't specify what the gift is. He just says some spiritual gift. Yeah. Which leans towards what the Spirit wills us in terms of how we reach and use the things. We do know the result of what that would look like because in the next, uh, the next verse there, right, he wants to I impart to you some spiritual gift in order to strengthen you. Um, that I'm going to come to Rome and, uh, like, don't worry, I'm not just, like, sleeping on your couch. Like, there's, there's things that I want to do that hopefully... And then he says next, right, that, you know, he may get something from them as well, right? He says that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, by both yours and mine. So... Whatever spiritual gift, probably teaching and preaching and, and all of that, that he will encourage them. But then in the same, right, that he hopes to go there to be encouraged by them, right? That, that, that is what kind of fuels his fire as he is traveling from place to place to go to a church that, you know, there can be this blessing that I will do some work, but even within that work, I'm going to be encouraged by what it is that you do. And so even though he's had these plans to go to Rome, what, what's indicated by why he hasn't gone to Rome yet? Yeah. And so it may seem right the center of the empire, like, you know, if we want to preach the gospel, let's go to the capital city, and then that could be a springboard, like that's just going to be a great place to like network with people and to have. And while the Lord definitely uses that, right, at some point, it's, it's not what he wants Paul to do for whatever reason. It could be that he, you know, you know Paul's influence would increase even more, and he wants to stay, keep Paul humble. Uh, there's definitely things that have prevented him, um, not only the sufferings that he's followed, but, you know, he's been, he's been in jail um, uh, at different points in time. Now, Paul will eventually make it to Rome, but how does that happen? Yeah. So at the end of Acts, we see like when he finally makes it to Rome, he doesn't come to Rome as a free man. He comes under different terms and different circumstances. And again, just might be the way that the Lord wanted to make sure that when Paul was there, uh, he came right humbled and that it was only the focus and the centrality of the message, not the messenger that was of uh, importance. And so, again, he's been prevented, but um, hasn't made it there. But his goal is to do some work there, to encourage them, and then likewise to be encouraged by them. And so then Paul kind of ends this, this section where he says that, you know, he is under an obligation, right? That, that I feel compelled, you know, in order to come, right, that he wants to preach the gospel to reap a harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles because I am under an obligation. What does it say that he's under an obligation to? And, and we want to kind of think about what that means. Probably 
placed on his life because you mentioned that up in verse 5 that he through his apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles was originally saved. So there was a specific call. It's just an observation of the church itself. You mentioned the Claudius's decrees that all Jews leave Rome. The church began with the Jewish influence from Pentecost, but yet obviously it spread among the cities to the Gentiles. So there was a mixed congregation. Yep. Now that is void of all this is Jewish believers. So you have a Gentile congregation, which is amazing to think about. Because what you know, where has the leadership, the teaching come from? Um, how the Lord has sustained the church until this letter Yeah, and, and, and within that Jewish congregation, we see like in the letter further, like Paul specifically talks about Jewish ideas, um, even for the sake of his Jewish brothers being, you know, uh, accursed. Um, and so whether there are some back at that time or not, there would have definitely been the influence and understanding within the congregation of what the Jews had taught and what their faith was. And for the Jewish people, as a people group, what was their relationship to God? Yeah. So they're the chosen people. And so for even Paul, right, to say that I have an obligation to the Gentiles, right, he's just reaffirming the calling that he had. But also for the, you know, even if that, that those terms of, you know, the Jews being the chosen people, he's like, no, the, you, you are incorporated within this. And so I have an obligation to the Gentiles as well. And then that term barbarians is within Rome, right? Uh, those that were Roman would have been understood as, you know, with one thought, if you were outside of Rome, you were a barbarian. Because to them, that's kind of like what the language sounded like. It's typically like kind of the Germanic people, you know, like bar, 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 you know, kind of like idea was where the, that term barbarian kind of came from. But he says, you know, that is who I'm obligated to, right? Even those that are welcomed within Rome, but be outside of welcomed outside of the Roman Empire, the barbarians as well, is that all people, right, um, need to hear the gospel. And I hope to re reap a, a harvest amongst all of them. Because again, he might be using Rome. He says later that he's going to Spain. He wants to go to Spain at the end of the chapter, at the end of, uh, of Romans. He says that that's his desire but again, that's what he wants to make sure that all of the world hears uh, the gospel. And so, again, like that's where he feels like his heart is. And then and beyond that, right, um, the barbarians and then both to the wise and to the foolish. That just kind of is a parallelism between, you know, what maybe people thought of as the wise, meaning the Greeks, or to the bar barbarians, meaning the foolish. And then even that to preach the gospel to them as well. Not again for the sake of salvation, but again for the sake of obedience to Christ and to share what he knows. And so Paul identifies his purpose of coming so they know and can prepare, and prepare for that. Um, and so uh, we, though, get the benefit of all of Romans and his theological treatment. So... Um, you know, whether he was able to do exactly what he wanted to do. We know he came under the pretense of prison, uh, but Acts only goes so far. 
And so we gleaned from some of the other letters that it doesn't seem like he was able to then go from there to Spain, but God had other purposes. All right, so these next few verses, I want to kind of focus in on that, and we'll, again, look at the, the uh, set us up for what we're going to think about next week. So he's under this obligation of the gospel. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. <laughs> in these few verses, it is packed uh, a lot of theological detail to understand kind of what he's talking about. And he, again, will go through more of that as he kind of goes through his letter. But right on the, on the heels of his desire to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, he states his uh, feelings on the gospel. And he says he is not ashamed of the gospel. All right? So we think of like this idea of being ashamed, you know, is how we would understand it, right? To have a sense of shame or disgrace for something particular is what that means. Now, if we step back, why would people be ashamed of the gospel? Are you saying Peter? Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's, and again, there's lots of, lots again of, of uh, you know, thoughts for, for all of this, right? You know, Paul went, you know, <laughs> wherever he went, some it was accepted, but to others they rejected the message, and so there is a idea that eventually you could shrink back from the gospel because, right, of the opposition. No one is ashamed of something that, like, is widely accepted. <clears throat> the things that you're ashamed of, and some are rightfully so, if you think of, like, the shame of sin, is because sin is not accepted. So there's rightful shame on that. Paul, right, you know, as, as you guys all have mentioned, right, that, that Jesus, uh, to a... Um, to a Jew, right? It would have been like, yeah, he didn't come as the king that we thought and was rejected by Jews. Uh, for the Greeks, when he goes up and he, you know, in Athens, like they're curious about Jesus, but he talks about the resurrection and kind of some dismiss him. Some wanted to hear more. Um, and then you go to Rome, right, where the Jews were <laughs> expelled from Rome and this central powerful area and you're like well, what is this you know this savior that you preach of he has nothing to add to anything that of status or virtue and so for all of those things that you guys mentioned I love the way you guys you know you know kind of added into that is is right we are ashamed when we think of the rejection that comes along with it and Paul right was not ashamed because he kept in mind, right, what the purposes are, right, of, of what the gospel meant. And we see um, this idea, again, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. 
For what is a man, uh, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. Right? In this context of like Paul saying, take up your cross. And taking up a cross was not something like that was virtuous at that time. It was a, t- a time of, you know, of, of rejection amongst the people. He says, don't be ashamed of me because you gain more. <laughs> Even if you gain the whole world, what does it profit you? You gain more by taking up this path. So don't feel ashamed of me in this front of this adulterous and sinful generation. Paul would give the same kind of um, advice to Timothy in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 6, he says, For this reason I remind you to the fan into the flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear but of power and love and self-control. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Timothy, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. He knew as a, as a young pastor right, that that would be something he might be susceptible to, is shrinking back in time of rejection. But he says you need to not be ashamed of the gospel, and don't even be ashamed of me who is in prison. So why not be ashamed? Because Paul says it is the power of God for salvation. So how does knowing that counterbalance like being ashamed of the gospel? And so even with that, right, that, that this is our means of salvation, and if it's a means of salvation, right, then without it, what are the implications? And so, right, if, if you're being saved, it begs the question of being saved from what? And Paul goes into that, and we'll get into that a little bit more next week, but essentially, right, <coughs> saved from the wrath of God. So it is the power of God as a means of salvation in order for us to uh, understand that, <coughs> that he says that, what is revealed in the gospel is the righteousness of God. And so there's a lot that you can kind of think about, but if you think about righteousness and just that term, it means that you're either in the right or in the wrong, right? And so then that means that all actions have consequences, not all actions, um, but many actions and moral actions have consequences to them. And so what is right and what is wrong? Well, in the eyes of what's right and what's wrong is who's the judge. And if God is the judge, he's the standard of what is right 
and wrong. And so in the gospel, we're revealed, right, uh, what is right in the eyes of God. And what is left out is what is judged in the eyes of God. And so it is the means of salvation in the sense that we are looked at as being right because we have been, our sins have been atoned for by Christ on the cross. And we'll get into that a little bit more just to make sure that we understand that when we think about what it means to have you know, the wrath of God on us. But he says that it is revealed from faith for faith. Right? Faith is required for believing in the gospel, and the gospel is required for strengthening our faith. And so you kind of have this all-encompassing aspect of what faith is, is means. And so then Paul quotes Habakkuk 2.4, that the righteous shall live by faith. And we'll get that to a little bit more detail, but I want us to also kind of think about what, you know, the next section, how it starts out, because he says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men. And so with the, 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 you know, the gospel comes the power of God saving, you know, saving mankind, but saving mankind from what? The wrath of God. But how is the wrath of God understood? Well, he said it is revealed clearly that all men will know. And so we'll kind of think about that and understand that a little bit more and go through some more of the details of that as we go through this next week um, and start to kind of look at how God has revealed himself in nature and then how we understand it when we can share the gospel that we're not sharing it in a complete vacuum, that people have an understanding and a knowledge of God, even if they deny it, what are the reasons for that and uh, what are the purposes that Satan has behind it? All right, well, we kind of hit the end of our time here. Um, any final thoughts and what we've gone over so far before we close out our time?